Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As I said last week, we're here. Everybody's been wondering how long it was going to take to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're looking today only in verse 3. We're going to go very, very slow. We're talking about the characteristics of spiritual immaturity. Several years ago, I was up in Montana with my son-in-law, Eric, and with a dear friend of mine, Johnny Walker, who lives in Houston, Texas, and we were fishing on the Bitterroot River. It's sort of a vision I have of what heaven's going to be like. Beautiful mountains. The water was cold and clear. If you've ever been in cold, clear trout waters, you know that what looks like it may be a foot deep may be 10 feet deep. It's just amazing how it can distort its view. And so I had a pair of waders on. My waders for my size would be over most of your heads. You could sew it up at the end, use it as a sleeping bag or something. But I had these waders on and came up to here. One of the things you learn when you're entering into the water, we were fly fishing, as you're entering into the water, you move real slow, real slow. You don't take big strides when you're in a, the, the water is going, the level is going down underneath you and there's rocks everywhere, the current's strong, and you know the water gets very deep. I was able to make it across the river and we fished most of the afternoon, caught several trout. It, got, it began to get dark and I knew that to get back to where we stayed, I had to cross the river. So I started working my way to get across. At first, I was very careful, slow, small step at a time, but then I got in a hurry <laughs> and I took a big step, bad move. Current's moving fast. My foot got up under a rock. The only thing I hate about this is my son-in-law, Eric, was standing on the bank watching this. Now, had he not seen it, I think I could have lived with it a little bit better. I got my foot hung up under that rock. Well, the current was so strong, you can't pull it out. And in doing so, I got turned around, and I mean, I went right into the water, face first, the water down in my waders. Oh, it was cold coming off those mountains from the spring meltdown of the snow. And they had to grab me and literally, literally get me up on the bank so that I wouldn't be swept away or drowned in that real deep water there that I was trying to cross. And I learned something. Again, <laughs> I learned to deal with my pride because that's the first thing that happened to me. But I learned to, to go slow when you're in deep waters. 1 Corinthians 12 is deep, fast-moving water, if you haven't realized it by now. We're going to irritate some of you to death because I'm going to go slowly, step at a time. I know some of you are saying, I wish he'd hurry up and get to this verse. Because I don't want to see what he's going to say about it so I can write him a letter. I know that. <laughs> some of you may die before I get to that verse. <laughs> there may be children born and die before I get to that verse. How long is it going to take? I don't know. 
But we're gonna ease in. Somebody said a long time ago, yard by yard, life's way too hard. But inch by inch, life's a sin. So we're gonna go inch by inch as we go through this verse. Only verse three today. As we're looking at the characteristics of spiritual immaturity at the church of Corinth. Now, in 1 Corinthians, we have seen already that a person not surrendered to Christ, not willing to live up under the truth that has already been revealed to him, is called an immature believer. We don't have to go back and do that again. That's chapter 3. It must be understood this is the situation at the church of Corinth. You will never study a church in Scripture that's more immature, upside down, and distorted in their spiritual views as you will the church of Corinth. Paul addresses their immaturity again in chapter 12. And of course, they didn't have chapters and verses. Somebody added that in. So in the course of his letter, he comes back now and revisits their immaturity and the signs of their immaturity. In verse 1, he shows that the characteristic of spiritual immaturity is an ignorance of spiritual things, spiritual matters. He says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, if you were not here last week, we saw that the word gifts is not in the text. That is written in by translator. The word's in the plural, and the word means the spirituals, the spiritual things, spiritual matters. He says, I do not want you to be unaware of spiritual matters, brethren. Paul did not want them to be spiritual ignoramuses. And that may be a callous way of saying it, but the word ignoramus comes from the word translated unaware. It's the exact word. It's where you get the word from it. And it's in the present tense. Paul said, I don't want you walking around as ignoramuses when it comes to spiritual matters. I do not want you to continue to be this way. You see, instead of looking at the whole picture of spiritual things as they were, spiritual things includes dying daily at the cross, living surrendered. It includes the fullness of Christ being manifest in you. It includes a surrender to the Word of God. It includes prayer. It includes many things. And way down the list comes the attitude area, or rather, of spiritual gifts. But when you're distorted in, your, in spiritual matters, the flesh will drive you to exaggerate one or two of the many aspects of what the Christian life, life has to say. Flesh always exaggerates. Now, flesh lives in the soul. It's the sensual so it always exaggerates and focuses upon that which you see, that which you touch, and that which you feel. So the emotional becomes focused for the person who's walking after the flesh. And he's distorted because he doesn't see the full picture of what these things represent, the spiritual matters. He doesn't understand the role that gifts play amongst the role of other things in the spiritual life. The spiritual immature believer lives in his senses alone. This causes his distortion, much less of spiritual gifts. Now you can understand why that would be a problem in the church of Corinth. So an ignorance of spiritual things, spiritual matters, that's a characteristic of spiritual immaturity. But secondly, we have the influence of a pagan past. When you're not being influenced by the Spirit, you're being influenced by your flesh, which has its roots in your unsaved past. And he says there in verse two, you know, and that word know means you intuitively know. I don't have to tell you. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray. Now watch this. To the dumb idols. However you were led. That phrase, however you were led, simply it's translated that way, but it means helplessly. It's the manner in which you were led. In other words, you were led away helplessly. Passive voice means you didn't have anything to do with it. You were just lured by something. And listen to what he does here. He singles out one single influence of their life in the past. 
It's not their immorality. It's not their thievery, as we'll see in a moment. It's not their covetousness. It's their idolatry. Something about the idolatry of Corinth that used to lure them in their pagan past has everything to do with chapter 12, 13, and 14. And I don't see how anybody can miss that. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. Look back in chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. There's several things he could have referenced here. When you talk about the pagan past of the Corinthians, there were many things he could have locked on to. Only one does he single out. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He says, Neither fornicators, look here, here you go, neither fornicators nor idolaters. Now there it's mentioned, the second one. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look at verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. Now you see, you've got to look at chapter 12, 13, and 14 as a unit, just like we looked at chapters 8 through 10 as a unit. And when you look at chapters 12 through 14, there's a problem. That problem is directly associated with their pagan past to one single area. And that was the lure of idolatry to the Corinthian church. Now I want to tell you something. The Corinthian church had a lure to it in idolatry, or, or the pagans there did, more so than any other area that you'll study. You'll never see this mentioned in Ephesians. You'll never see it mentioned in Philippians. You'll never see it mentioned in Thessalonians. You'll never see it mentioned in any other letters. Only in Corinthians. Something unique, something so peculiar about the idolatry of Corinth that it lured literally everyone in their pagan past. And what in the world could that be? Well, it has to be. If you know anything about history and culture, and you must interject this or you miss the whole point. The oracles of Delphi, Delphi was a city not far from Corinth that had affected all of them. It was all centered around the temple of Apollo. Now, I told you when we first started our study, some historical background, that in the middle of the city of Corinth was the temple of Apollo. The temple of Apollo was also at Delphi. The temple of Apollo was also at Athens. But there was something about the temple of Apollo that makes it unique. That's where the oracles of Delphi, would. that's what it took place. What is an oracle? An oracle is a woman who, when on certain days, would go into the inner sanctum there of the temple of Apollo, over a chasm there, get up on top of a tripod, sit in a trance, and she would just go to where she had no intelligent thoughts in her mind whatsoever, as some of us go through from time to time. And at that particular point, she would begin to speak in an ecstatic tongue. I mean, meant nothing. Gibberish. Absolute gibberish. Nobody could understand a thing that she was saying. Then they would interpret it. Now, that's fun to try to interpret gibberish. I mean, that's, <laughs> that'd be like trying to listen to a baby talk and find out what in the world is it saying. Have you ever tried to do that? I mean, you, it's just jabbering. That's all they're doing. And they would have interpreters who would come up with some mystical understanding of what this, this person had said. And the people walked away thinking, wow. Huh? I mean, they were more mystified when they left than they were when they got there. But this had a lure to these people. Oh, man, we can hear from the gods. Let's run down to the temple. And we'll put our little, they had little leaden plates that they would write their questions about life, about family, about future. And they would give it to them. And then she would go in and get an answer for them and they'd go away with this answer. Well, you say, Wayne, I don't see how anybody could be lured into that. Are you kidding me? Let's put it in the 20th century just for a second. Have you been watching television lately? Anybody watch television around here? The psychic hotline. 
Oh, you know, you know, the thing that hits me is when I see that commercial pop up from time to time as I'm sitting in my chair that sucks me into it and I stay there for a while. When I see that commercial, I think about how many Christians actually dial that number. I'll tell you who they are. They're the immature ones that can't hear from God and His Word and will not surrender to His Spirit. They've got to go someplace else to find their answers. And it is sweeping this country. Where it started off with one, now you got a whole panel of them. Did the same thing in Delphi. They went from one woman to had to go to three to handle all the people that would come from Corinth and then all the areas around. And you see what's happening here. Matter of fact, I wonder how many in this church right now, right now, I don't raise your hand. I'm a good great man. Plead ignorant or something. But I wonder how many in here picked up the paper this morning and looked at your horoscope. I someplace, I don't know where I was not long ago, and a Christian walked up and said, you know what, you're a Leo. I thought, a Leo? What's a Leo? Somebody said that was a lion. I'm thinking, well, I'm probably big as one, probably smell like one, but I never thought about being a Leo. You think that hadn't captured immature Christians in the country today? I am about guarantee it has. People want fast answers. People want anything that pleases their flesh and their move towards that. That's what pulls people. And Paul is saying there was something about that idolatry, specifically in Corinth, that lured you passively. You didn't even realize what was happening. You were being swept right into it. And of course, the people there that would go would come away just as confused, but having felt like they'd gotten in touch with a pagan God. Well, Paul reminds them of this. And he says, the influence of your pagan past has crept right back into the church. The influence of your pagan past. And what evidently was going on there, some people were speaking in that same unintelligible gibberish that had caused many of them to think that the Holy Spirit of God had actually influenced it. So spiritual immaturity is characterized by, first of all, spiritual ignorance of spiritual matters. I mean, I mean, you know maybe one area or two areas, but you cannot highlight one or the other. You've got to see the balance, and only God can give you that balance as you're surrendered to Him. And then secondly, the influence of a pagan past. But this morning, we're going to look at verse 3, where it talks about the third characteristic of spiritual ignorance, and spiritual immaturity, rather. And that is inexcusable speaking inexcusable speaking. Ignorance of spiritual matters, influenced by a pagan past, and inexcusable speaking. Now, if you're interested in a person's maturity level, you listen to them when they speak as if they are influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. It's amazing. It was amazing in Corinth, the garbage that was being said and done in the name of God, the Holy Spirit. They were attaching the two together. We need to learn a lesson from them that what we say, not only what we say, the way we say it has everything, every bearing on our maturity in Christ as to whether we're surrendered to Him uh, when it comes down. It must be examined because there are guidelines that we must go by. And how these guidelines hopefully will help you this morning and help me as I was studying them. Let's just wade in carefully. In verse 3 he says, Therefore, I make known to you. Therefore connects it. Anytime you see a therefore, always look to see what it's there for. <laughs> Verse 1 and 2, we already know what it's there for. Therefore I make known to you that no one, now watch the words here, speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit of God. You begin to see immediately the area that he's going to approach. Paul changes the word for no. He says, therefore I made known to you. Or I make known to you. 
present tense. I'm doing it as I speak. In other words, as I write is what he would be saying. He changes the word no from verse 2. The word no in verse 2 is eva. Everybody intuitively already knows. You don't have to be taught the problems you had in your past. You know what your flesh is like and you know what dominates you or at least tries to dominate you. But he changes that word from eva, O-I-D-A, to norizo, G-N-O-R-I-Z-O, transliterated. And this word has the different understanding altogether. Whereas in verse 2, you already know it. Why do I tell you? But in verse 3, I'm going to have to tell you because you wouldn't know it any other way. It's transmitted knowledge. It is to inform somebody. It is to put something on someone's mind. For 10 years, many of you don't even know this, I sat under Dr. Spiros Zoliadis. I did his radio and television with him seven hours a week for 10 years. Talk about the patience of that man working with such a thick-headed person as me. Matter of fact, one day we were talking about something. I don't know, we were up here in the heavenly somewhere. I hadn't quite figured it all out. And I saw the, the camera people that were filming it. One was a lady. She jumped up on the chair. And I could tell something's going on, but I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that a mouse had come out behind the bookshelf and was running around the legs of the chair. I couldn't see the mouse, but Brother Z could. He was looking right at it, but looking at me at the same time. And rather than acknowledge the mouse, he kept right on explaining to me the depths of this Greek word. And finally, when we finished, the program was over. He said, oh, did you see the mouse? Did you see the mouse? He said, let's see if it's on television. And we went and looked in the video, and lo and behold, there's that mouse comes running out, runs around the legs of the chair. You talk about a man that's intense, but you talk about a man that had to be patient to put up with me. Some of that took, some of that actually took. But my point is, I would have never known any of it had it not been taught to me. It had to be transmitted from him to me. I, you don't know this stuff intuitively. You've got to put your, 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 your head in the book and let God the Holy Spirit teach you and, and let others help you. This is what it was all about. So Paul is saying, listen, you know something in verse 2, but evidently you don't know something in verse 3, and I'm trying to tell you something concerning spiritual matters that you don't know evidently, and therefore I'm going to have to tell you. Now what is it about spiritual matters that he zeroes out and starts attacking. That is, when somebody speaks, notice the words, it's so clear there. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There was a lot of speaking going on in Corinth in the name of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Apostle Paul says, in your immaturity, you don't seem to be able to distinguish when it's under the influence of the Holy Spirit and when it's strictly nothing more than pure flesh. Three things he gives to them in this that just to me were just nuggets and so blessed me when I was studying them. Three things. First of all is this. You want to know when somebody's speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God? Number one, what he says will be in an understandable language. In other words, there won't be some gibberish that nobody's ever heard before. When God speaks, He speaks clearly and with understanding. Let's wade in. He says, therefore I made known to you that no one. The word no one is the word uthis. It means absolutely no one in any shape, form, or fashion. No one. That no one speaking. Now the word speaking here, I hope I can explain it. And sometimes it gets in, but doesn't get out like it gets in. The word speaking here is the word laleo. L-A-L-E-O, transliterated. That word, when you take it and put, put it amidst two other words, simply means to make a noise, to make a noise. In other words, therefore, 
I make known to you that no one making any kind of noise, whether it's intelligible or unintelligible, any kind of noise, very important to what we're dealing with, a gibberish even, if you please. Silence has been erupted, interrupted. Somebody has said something that broke that silence. And in this context, it's going to go on to deal with something that's very reasonable, but I want you to see the meaning of laleo. It really simply means to make a noise, and it can be used in this context very well, but it's got to be cl clarified by the text. He, try, he ties this speaking, this making a noise, to the Holy Spirit's influence. Therefore, I make known to you that anyone making any kind of noise, saying anything, by the Spirit of God. Now, this puts it in another context. In other, in other words, the noise, the, the sounds, the things that are said are directly influenced and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. No one making an utterance or noise by the Spirit of God. The word by could be translated in and has the idea of under the control of. If a person says, I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, whatever noise comes from me, we would say speaking. Whatever noise comes out of my mouth that breaks the silence when it's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no word, there's no definite article before Spirit. When it's a definite article, it identifies. When it's not a definite article, it qualifies. In other words, the full character of the Holy Spirit of God you're dealing with here. When a person makes any kind of sound that emanates from under the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, when he says any words that breaks the silence, then he goes on and says, he says, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says. Now the word says that he uses there, how many times do we read this stuff and go right on as if it means nothing? The word says is the word lego, completely changes the word, and this is very significant. The word says, lego, comes from the word logos. Now when you put three words up here, rhema, subjective word, you put up the word uh, that we're looking at here, lego or logos, and then you put up the word over here, laleos, they all have a different meaning. When put together, it makes a beautiful truth. When you put logos and you tie it together with a sound that comes out of somebody's mouth, the word logos or lego, it's used here, the, the verb, means intelligent, understandable words. You see, anybody making a sound under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God will say that which is understandable and intelligent. There'll be no gibberish in it. Everyone will hear in a language they can have to understand. Now that may not mean they understand everything it said because uh, the prophets would speak in a language everybody heard but no, nobody fully grasped the depths of those things. When the Holy Spirit of God speaks and someone is making a sound that's influenced and inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he says, Lego, when he says something, it'll be intelligent, it'll be understandable, it'll be full of integrity because it's coming from the Holy Spirit of God. Now that, that immediately begins to make your ears perk up as to what's going on in Corinth. No man speaking under the leadership of the Holy Spirit can speak in some gibberish and call that the Holy Spirit. It'll be a language that is understandable. God speaks so that his people can understand what he's saying. He does not speak in gibberish. Matter of fact, the word logos is the word that is used of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the living logos. God wanted man to understand God himself. And so he sent his only son that through Jesus we, we could understand. He's the father. He came to reveal the lamb nature of God. So many things we know of the father through looking at Jesus. He was very understandable. Never once spoke in a language 
that people could not hear and understand. They may not have understood what he said, but they understood the words that came from him because it was in a language that communicated with them. In fact, if you'll turn back with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 22. God the Father speaks out of heaven, identifying who his son is. I want you to know that God the Father did not use a language nobody could understand. He spoke in a way that people could have a, a use of communication and to understand. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 3. As a matter of fact, there are so many verses. I just chose to pick two of them because I'm going somewhere with this. We could spend a, long, a lot longer time on this if I took all the verses, but you check it out. Hey, be a in. Check it out to see if it's so. Every time that God spoke. Verse 22, Luke chapter 3. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, Thou art my beloved Son. In thee I am well pleased. A voice came out of heaven, not in some language that nobody could understand, in a very clear language, whatever that was. Matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, what was the key? It wasn't the speaking, it was the hearing. Everyone heard what was said in their own language. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 35. Luke 9, verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. How are you going to listen to anybody if you can't understand what they're saying? God chooses to speak in language that people can understand, whatever that may be. If you have a Romanian Bible, he'll speak to you in Romanian. If you have an English Bible, he'll speak to you in English. He speaks so that man can understand. So when somebody speaks and he says he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, the noise that he makes will be that with intelligence, integrity, and understanding. That's the first thing and first rule of being able to decide. A lot of people are speaking. Where's the Holy Spirit in all of this? That's the first one he brings up. It's a very subtle one. But then secondly, when the Holy Spirit is influencing someone to speak, truth will always be presented. Truth will always be presented. Not only were there those in Corinth that were speaking in a gibberish which came out of their very pagan past, but not only that, there was other parts of their pagan past in idolatry. There were those who discredited the deity of Christ. In fact, there were those who would speak and you could understand them. The problem is what they were saying completely nullified Scripture. Look at what he says. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says... There's no intelligent word that can come influenced by the Spirit of God which says Jesus is accursed. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is no way going to inspire anybody to say Jesus is accursed. Obviously, any saved person or unsaved person in a fit of anger could say those words. I know there are times in my life, in your life, we say a lot of things, but it's not under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. He qualifies and makes sure you, you understand. When somebody tags what they say to the leadership and influence of the Holy Spirit of God, you will never hear an unbiblical truth. Truth will always be presented. And what is here is a very heinous thing. They said Jesus is accursed. And probably in a fit of emotion or ecstasy, somebody might have got up and spoken in a, in a language nobody ever heard before. Not only that, somebody else gets up and says Jesus is accursed. Well, are they of the Holy Spirit of God? The word accursed is an interesting word, and if you look into it, it helps you better understand what's being said. The word accursed is the word anathema. It's an interesting word. In this context, it means something that is given over to the curse 
in order to be destroyed. In other words, a person without Christ is, is anathema. He's given over to the curse and will one day be destroyed in the, in the sense that he's, the, he's set apart from God forever. There's no relationship that can ever be there. Well, what they're doing here, evidently in Corinth, there were those who were taking the deity of who Christ is, the truth of what the word presents, and they lower it to where Jesus is, no, is just a human being. Now, who are these people? I don't know who these people are. We can make some educated guesses. Maybe the ones doing the gibberish were the pagans that got in amongst the service and were trying to make the Christians think that, they, that this was really of the Spirit. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they were Christians themselves. Maybe there were others that got in that were Jews. There were, there were, were some Jews in Corinth and the Jews were adamantly against the, 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 the deity of Christ. And so they came in and said, he's a, he's a cursed. He's like the rest of us. He, he's going to be destroyed under the curse. He's not God. And they lowered him down to a humanistic level. No man can do that and claim that he's under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Now I want to tell you something. You think the deity of Christ is not important? <laughs> There's a lot of people. That's being attacked more than you will realize in subtle ways in our country today. And people who get up, well-respected people under the name of the Holy Spirit of God, actually by what they say, completely undergird, not undergird, they undermine the very deity of Christ. And Christians just sit there and say, isn't he wonderful? With no discernment at all. And what Paul is trying to do is say, that's the same thing that was going on in Corinth. They didn't know the difference. They didn't know the difference. Man could get up and say, Jesus is accursed. Perhaps he didn't say it in those same words. Maybe he got up and presented the fact that he's just mere man. You know, we talk about the God-man. Maybe they presented so much of the humanness of Christ, they forgot the deity of Christ. And if you don't have that balance, don't speak until you're taught because you're going to undermine the very deity of Christ. And when you undermine the deity of Christ, everything else unravels. So there are two things right here. When the Holy Spirit of God speaks, He speaks so that you can understand and so that these people can understand. God is not in the business of putting His will in some coded language. By the way, I had somebody ask me the other day about this Bible that they've come up with numbers. What's that thing called? The, some kind of code that they found? They said, Brother Wayne, what do you think about it? Let me just tell you in the best way that I know how to tell you. <laughs> no, Diana's here. Uh, yes. Let me just say it nice as I can. That's nothing but pure garbage. Spirit of God lives in us to show us anything we need to know at any time. You go outside the Spirit of God and you got problems just like Corinth had problems. You come to the Word, you get up under the truth, and when the Spirit of God speaks, truth will always be proclaimed. Always be proclaimed. Never forget that. All this stuff that our flesh loves to get into. Oh, but Brother Wayne, what's going to happen in the year 2000? Brother Wayne, are you saving up your Cheerios? Have you got enough milk and water? You know what? If you're not careful and you get up under all these different things that are coming at us, hey, some, is it true? If it's, if it's true, what is the truth we present here? Jesus is my sufficiency. Man, he doesn't have me walk around paranoid about what's going to happen next. You live in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ until he decides, Wayne, that's it, buddy, come on home, and you go home with him. And you don't run around Matter of fact, if you'll take that in its logical form, only the rich people are going to survive that are Christians. What about the poor folks that don't even have enough to eat today? But I mean, our flesh loves this kind of stuff. It's attacked us from every angle. But when the Spirit of God speaks, the truth is presented, and the truth is centered around Christ. It's, it's the essence of who God is, and it's centered right in His Word. Scripture will be come forth when the Spirit has anything to do with it. But I want to tell you something, folks. Our flesh, 
Holy day and morning. You give it half a chance. It'll chase an experience. It'll chase an emotion. It'll chase a great whim that's going on in this day and say it's of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, first of all, he will speak so that you might understand. He will speak so that you may understand. Secondly, he will honor the Word of God. The Word of God in truth will be presented. But then thirdly, Christ will always be revealed. When the Spirit of God is influencing a noise, a word is coming out of somebody's mouth, it's going to end up somehow in revealing Christ. Look here. In the last part of the verse 3, And no one, no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. You've got to ease back. First of all, no one can say. No one. I mean, Paul just uses the same word. Absolutely nobody. Can say the word lego coming right out of Logos. Nobody can say with intelligent thought and understanding and integrity that Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God influences him because that's the kind of stuff that comes from the Spirit of God. He reveals who the Lord Jesus really is, that Jesus is Lord. I'll tell you what, you think, what, you think that's not important? I was doing a meeting down in Mississippi years ago with Roy Hessian. Remember Roy Hessian that wrote the Calvary Road? He was like a father in my life, as many has been. God's had so many people to put in my life. When I get to heaven, if I have any crowns, I'm going to have to give them to so many people before we give them to Jesus. Because <laughs> humility, somebody said, is giving credit to the people God used to get you to where you are. And boy, he's used so many people in my life. But Roy Hessian, uh, just a dear man. We were speaking together in Starkville, Mississippi, not, not far from Mississippi State University. And I, I preached one day on the fact that Jesus is the only well you ever need to drink from. The only well. You don't need anything outside of Jesus. And I finished, and I remember Brother Roy came up and said, you know, I think I can go on to be at the Lord now, and I know somebody else knows the message. It's so precious to me. One of, one of the things that was said to me over my life, that I'll treasure until Jesus comes back. But at the same time, another man came up, and Roy heard him. And he said, I want to tell you something, preacher. You've offended me, and you've offended the third person of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, back in those days, <laughs> older I'm getting, I really don't want to offend as much as I used to. I kind of enjoyed it. And I really, I really wasn't worried about offending him at all, but I was concerned about offending the third person of the Holy Spirit, I mean, of the Trinity, I mean, of the Godhead. I'm, I'm a, little, a little worried about that. And I said, how did I offend the third person of the Trinity? He said, you never mentioned the name of the Holy Spirit one time. You only talked about Christ. And I was able to say to him something and point him to Scripture. I want to point you to it this morning. I want you to turn to John chapter 16. I want you to see it for yourself. I didn't write it. You know, it's amazing to me. Verse 13 and 14. It's amazing to me how many people are trying to defend the personalities of the Trinity when there's no jealousy in the Trinity. Father gives it to the Son. Son gives it to the Spirit. Spirit gives it back to Jesus. Jesus gives it back to the Father. They ain't got a problem with it. The problem down here on earth, fleshly, immature Christians running around trying to defend the third person of the Trinity. Don't defend him. Just bow to him. And when you do, he'll reveal Christ to you. And truth will be presented. And he'll do it in an understandable way. John 16, verse 13. It says, and when he, who's he? The spirit of truth come. That's him, the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Look at verse 14. He shall what? What does it say? You read it to me. What does it say? Glorify who? 
Me, who's speaking? Jesus, it's in, it's in red. Somebody said, that's inspired, isn't it? Yeah, that's inspired. He should glorify. You know what the word glorify means? To give recognition to. You think the Holy Spirit of God came to this earth to give recognition to himself? But what's happening all over our country, folks? People are giving recognition to the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to tell you something. That, that in no way demeans who he is. I bow before him every day of my life. But he's the Spirit of Christ. He is, he's God. He's, uh, he's absolutely utter God. And, and there's three persons to the Godhead, but only one God. You say, Wayne, I don't understand that. Well, if you did, then God would be no bigger than your brain, so don't beat yourself up. You don't understand that. You bow before it. The Holy Spirit of God, I told that man, I said, I did not in any way con contradict the Holy Spirit of God. I didn't offend him. As a matter of fact, I complimented him. He said, what do you mean? I read those verses. I said, the Holy Spirit of God didn't come to present himself. He came to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. What's wrong with us, folks? Immature people build themselves around things that are emotional and they focus on only one or two aspects of what the whole is all about. And look out. If they don't present him as Christ, look out. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Matter of fact, Paul says no one intelligently, no one can claim or no one can say, and he uses the aorist tense, even once, that Jesus is Lord. Whoa! You know what he's doing? He's pointing back to their salvation. He said, do you remember when you got saved? You didn't open your mouth and say that Jesus was Lord by the rationalization of your mind. You didn't come up with that on your mind. The Spirit of God revealed that to you. And that's where salvation begins. That's why people, it talks about in Romans, they couldn't come to know God. He was all around them, but they couldn't come to understand him. The, the whole problem is he has to be revealed to the human heart. Any speaker who ever stands up and says he's in the power of the Holy Spirit of God knows one thing, knows there's a ton of things he can't do. He can't make things understandable. The Holy Spirit, God can. He, 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 he can't do certain things. He can lift up, he can speak in a language everybody can understand. He, he can present truth but the only the Holy Spirit of God can glorify Christ and reveal Christ. And that's what will happen when somebody does this. No one can say even once that Jesus is Lord. Verse 14 of chapter 2, it says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Does not accept it. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, To, to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Now, who are these people that would come in and bypass the Holy Spirit to talk about Christ or to talk about other things? Maybe it ties back to that other group of people we're talking about. I know that Gnosticism, one of the areas it targeted was the area of Greece and particularly Corinth. So we know that because Colossians was written to combat Gnosticism and Colossae was, was there in Greece. So what, what's going on here? Actually, Colossae was more over in the Turkish area. But what's going on here? Gnosticism. Were the, you know what Gnostics were? They were the people who bypassed the Word, the Holy Spirit, and came into everything through a mystical knowledge that you could have, that you didn't need any, any other revelation. Maybe they were the ones. I just don't know. But something was going on, and what Paul had to say to them was, you can't even say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Well, there were some people in Corinth speaking in a gibberish nobody could understand, directly tied to their pagan past. There were some who were there who were 
denouncing the deity of Christ directly tied to their pagan past and maybe still pagan, some of them that were doing it. There were some who were trying to rationalize Christ and the message and didn't realize that only the Holy Spirit could reveal to him and could, could, could make him fully understandable. And the Apostle Paul says, you're so upside down, you don't know the difference. When somebody speaks, and he speaks under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he will speak in a language that's understandable because he intends to communicate something to you. But not only that, when he speaks, he will speak in a message that is truthful, and he'll present Scripture correctly. But not only that, when he, when he causes someone to speak, Christ in the midst of it will be revealed. Well, that's far enough. I've got a few more minutes left here, but we've had kind of a long service today. If I get any further, we're going to get into verse 4, and that starts a brand new thought. Now he starts his teaching and starts making them aware of spiritual gifts. But there are three things that, that qualify for a person to be immature spiritually. First of all is that ignorance of spiritual matters. Secondly is an influence of a pagan past. And thirdly, inexcusable speaking. All I can say to you is that as you leave today, be real careful that you don't make an experience the basis of what you think the truth has to say. All I can say to you is the flesh is so powerful, if you ever have an experience, perhaps it's in gibberish or whatever else, and you don't understand it. If you ever had that, all I'm trying to say, and I'm, I'm waving a flag, and I'm saying with all the love that's in my heart, you be very careful. Experience never backs up truth. Truth must always back up experience. And if whatever experience we have does not fit exactly into what truth says, then evidently that experience needs to be questioned. Not the Word of God, but that experience. We're walking through it carefully. We're dealing with a church that's so immature, they didn't know enough to get in out of the rain spiritually. They didn't know the difference when somebody spoke under the influence of the Holy Spirit. How to watch for the marks and the pillars that give us a clear understanding that yes, this person is under the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I can tell you. I feel like a friend of mine said one time he, he got out on a highway in Mississippi, four-lane highway. There was a wreck down here on a bridge, and that wreck had caused a lot of devastation. And Bob said he, he got a flare out of the back of his car and ran up on top of the hill on Interstate 55 there south of Jackson, and he got that thing out and began to wave it as wave it and wave it, trying to warn the cars that are coming. You won't be able to stop. There's a wreck on the bridge you can't get by. And one after the other plowed right into that wreck, death beyond measure, all because people wouldn't look for the person who's trying to warn them that there's danger up ahead. That's all I can do, folks. That's all I can do. But I want to ask you a question. Will you do something for me? Will you not write me any letters? I'm serious. Now, when you finish, you can write them and I'll resign. But, but don't write any letters. Don't call me and don't come up and tell me where you disagree until we finish chapter 12. And I'll tell you why. Because the weakness of my flesh is, if I know it's out there, I'll try to nail it. And I don't use hammers, I use sledgehammers. So I'm serious, I want you to pray for me and let's walk through this together maturely, okay? We're gonna have disagreement in here. But at least let it be biblical and not experiential, okay? And when we finish chapter 12, if we still disagree, Let's be still able to embrace one another and walk on in the unity of Christ. Okay? That's what I'm asking you. 
Now, I'm big enough. If I finish chapter 12 and I need to change, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to change. Are you big enough that if you finish chapter 12 that you're willing to change if you're wrong? That's the question. I commit to you. God, just speak truth. I don't want to miss anything that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that very attitude has gotten me in more trouble down the road because of getting off into the sensual and forgetting the scriptural. God speaks clearly. Scripture and truth is upheld and Jesus is revealed. Whenever he speaks, always remember that. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 